Welcome to another episode of Invited In, a podcast connecting the global family of Samaritan's Purse. As you know, when COVID-19 ramped up in early March of this year, Samaritan's Purse quickly jumped into action. We set up a specialized emergency field hospital in Italy, and then two weeks later, set up an identical unit in New York City in Central Park. Doctors and nurses were quickly able to treat hundreds of patients over the course of two months, and Jesus' name was lifted up high during a simultaneous response. As you can imagine, two responses simultaneously required a lot of people to get involved. And what a lot of people don't know is that our teams on the ground were just the tip of the iceberg. These unprecedented responses required everyone to pull together, and nearly every single employee at Samaritan's Purse had a hand in making this response possible. At the height of it, our entire human resources department was focused on hiring. Many people shifted jobs to provide the added capacity, and everyone backed up the work with prayer. We love highlighting people on the front lines, but we also think it's important to take time to acknowledge the hundreds of people behind the response that make it possible. And so in this episode, I wanna introduce you to four people who represent the many that helped make this response possible. They are the unsung heroes of COVID-19. The first person I want you to hear from is Rachel Ransom, the assistant kitchen manager in food services. Not only did they help feed the teams working all the long hours, but they started serving breakfast and opened up food services team at our Wilkesboro location. Basically, we do anything and everything. We come in at seven and start prepping, and then we'll pause for devotions and pray together, and then um, get to work with lunch and prepping for the next day and just whatever caters we have. And so it's really neat because we get to see all of the ministry in a sense of just getting to see all the departments come through and so often I've heard um, Justin, one of my bosses, say, you know, so many things that SP does, you know, is heavy. And so there's a lot of things that, whether it's the Emmett team or, you know, any of the things, SP has a lot on their shoulders. And so to be able to provide a warm meal for people and just a place where they can um, normally come and sit and have lunch, it's just been a blessing to get to serve um, with some of the things that God's just gifted all of our staff with and different unique skills and to see how he's growing and stretching our team. And so it's just a huge blessing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so things have shifted quite a bit um, when COVID stuff started happening. Honestly, um, as things started to unfold, we weren't really sure what that was going to mean for us. And, you know, in the back of our minds, a few of us, I think, thought, but we couldn't discuss or really say Uh, we don't know if we'll be coming back in, you know, on Monday. And so just praying and trusting the Lord with that. And um, we would tell our staff, you know, we'll be in touch. We'll let you know if there's changes. And so when everything started changing and we're like, okay, only essentials are coming in. We're like, well, I don't know that we're going to be, you know, I thought, I don't know that food service is going to be essential. Like people don't have to have food. They can pack their lunch. But it was really neat to just see Mr. Franklin's heart on wanting to take care of the staff and wanting to be able to still provide a hot meal. And so we shifted gears and started doing everything as carry out and um, no dining room. And so things just really began to shift. And it was like, okay, you know, a day at a time. And so things would shift so often that, you know, each day as you kind of thought you were getting into the new normal, something else would change. And so our staff just did a really good job of working well as a team and, you know, going with whatever the changes were and whatever we had to do to make sure that we followed the guidelines to make sure everybody was staying safe. And so typically before COVID, you your big, you know, 
your agenda for the day was lunch. Mm -hmm. But now we were doing lunches to go and then they started serving breakfast because as I've as I've heard, you know, the Emmett would be working 24/7 long hours not leaving their building. And so many their only chance to eat food was provided by you all. And so you started serving breakfast mm -hmm. to help those that were coming in because those that were coming in were doing long hours and they were exhausted and stretched. And so, yeah, I love how Franklin, you know, wanted to bless those that were here. And so you guys had to pull extra weight. You're now doing breakfast and lunch under really hard guidelines. So what did that look like? Yes. So, um, and to give a little context, so before all the COVID stuff started happening. Normally we would serve for lunch anywhere from 300 to 350. And so our numbers, when it first started happening and everybody went home, it was sometimes a hundred or a little less than a hundred. So it was just weird, um, all the changes, but, and trying to figure out, okay, what does our new normal look like? But then when we started serving breakfast along with that, it was like, okay, now we have to shift priorities. Like first, you know, breakfast, and then we got to roll into lunch and we have less time to do all of that. Um, but just everybody jumping in and it was just so neat. And, you know, we weren't sure how long we were going to do it at first. So like the first week it was like, oh yes, we got to do breakfast. This is so fun, you know, and everybody was so excited. And as it went on, it was like, like, okay, you know, we got to keep doing this. And um, one of the things for me that I just loved about our staff is that the love and care with what we did, um, one of my bosses, Andy, um, at the beginning when everything started changing, God had put on his heart to send, to print and us tape these little messages on everybody's box that was going to get a lunch. And so several of the staff, like they printed them out and then they were all cutting them and like taping them with gloves on to make sure nothing had like been cross-contaminated. Um, but just the heart behind wanting to do it with love and, um, just coming up with new menus pretty fast because, you know, we plan lunch menus before and have it usually a couple weeks out, but then like, okay, we're going to serve breakfast five days a week and, you know, for a while. And so just not wanting to serve the same thing every day because we all get tired of the same thing. And so we wanted to have some creativity. And so it was really neat to just see how we were able to do that and have a change of pace. And it was nice because since our numbers dropped, it did give us some time to get to experiment and do fun things. And so um, it just really took a different mental level to divide the two and just a neat opportunity to come alongside each other and really love our family well here in the kitchen. Um, and it was just so neat because to see that people cared about the smallest of details and wanting to take care of, I know you mentioned about the Emmett, but they couldn't come and get breakfast or lunch at one point. And so we were able, we were already doing to-goes, but we were able to box up the meals and just send them and someone come and pick them up. And also the mail room, there was at one point where they had received like the most mail they had ever received. And there was no way that they could walk away. And so they're like, is there any way we can get you to make box lunches and, you know, send them to us or the breakfast. And so we did it. And so, you know, it was just the timing of making sure the scrambled eggs got cooked right and on time and making sure when the line was, you know, out the door and spaced out like that we had enough for them, but then enough to also make for all the to-go meals. And so just to see how much our staff cared and like pulled together um, as a team and just for us, you know, no matter where 
the request was coming from, but to serve the Lord, like it doesn't matter. And I love the fact the other day in devotion, somebody was like, you know, there were so many nameless people in the Bible. And I'd love to, you know, tell you about all of our staff, Mm -hmm. but to know that God sees and that is who we're serving in the biggest and of the smallest ways. And so no matter what it is, to know that he sees it and that we're doing it for him, that we shouldn't be doing it for other people. You know, yes, sometimes we all want to be recognized or noticed, but to know that ultimately it's God that we're serving and it doesn't matter what anyone else sees. I love that. And yeah, we actually put Jeremy's devotion on Invited In last, we just posted it the other day (laughs) because it did. It spoke to all of our hearts and stopped us in our tracks because, you know, I think we do need to be reminded, you know, I mean, yes, praise is great from man, but approval of God is what we're seeking and what we're after. And, um, but as human in our flesh, we still desire you know, accolades and praise. And so I, we loved that and we shared that and it hit home to me. And that's why I want to spotlight you guys because you are a quiet in, you are often quiet in the background. And I don't, I know you're not doing it for praise and recognition, but I do want to thank you because it matters and we are grateful and you are a big part of our sending. (laughs) We couldn't do what we did without you guys. So um, thank you for what you do. Rachel truly radiates Christ, and she has such a servant's heart. And we saw the servant's heart of each employee give over and over in this response, and it couldn't have happened without them. The next person I talked to went above and beyond in this response was Cindy Albertson, who oversaw the incident management team call center. In March, with the stand-up of the Emmett in response to the COVID, I was asked to serve as the domestic medical coordinator and um, also as the Emmett call center uh, coordinator as well. This is why we want to bring awareness that everyone in Samaritan's Purse has had to put on a different hat, you know, and step up and do roles. But you, I think more than most, have taken on many more new roles to put these two emergency field hospitals into action. So can you talk to me about um, how your, you know, you said your title changed, but how did your job day-to-day responsibilities change? Well, as the medical coordinator, um, the domestic medical coordinator on the Emmett basically started out with just helping to support the medical needs with getting the field hospital in Italy and also the one in um, New York off the ground, but also supporting the DART staff that were going and what that meant meant for them, especially as they prepared to go and then prepared uh, prior to departure for their return home and for self-isolation or quarantine mm-hmm. and how to um, have their homes ready and their loved ones ready to receive them back. So it really started out with just supporting them on that. Um, but we quickly realized that the call center needed to also address our needs here on campus and also through um, the work with NAM and OCC and also a little bit of supporting with BGEA to uh, ensure that we have a safe workplace for everybody. Mm-hmm. And so I'm sure, you know, with the CDC guidelines changing hour by hour, I mean, how did you all stay up and become, you know, stay knowledgeable and be able to answer those calls? How are you able to do that? Uh, The first several weeks were very chaotic uh, because there were continual changes and we still learn things every day and every week about this virus. But especially initially, it was just literally a day-to-day change in updating our guidance as far as what we were sharing and how we were advising people to remain safe. Um, So we were continually monitoring the CDC website, our the North Carolina Department of Health and Human Resources, and just other uh, avenues and resources that we had in order to ensure that we were providing the most current information. And I'm sure every day was different, but can you talk to me, just give me a daily, 
what did your day look like? Um, it started early with just keeping up to date on the guidance, looking at what was going on, where it was going on, um, also monitoring the outbreak. And as the cases were rising in different areas around the world, as well as um, within um, our areas here in North Carolina, where we work and also throughout the United States, and just being able to update our guidance, we had a, we have a, um, risk stratification matrix that we use that was developed just to kind of help guide them mm -hmm. through um, when people call in and what the situation is and then where have they traveled or where are they going or what are they going to be doing and so how do we give them guidance on that. And yeah, who can call into the call center? Anybody and everybody. Okay. So. okay. I, mean, I thought it was just for staff and for our, you know, who so we send. Basically, all staffers, any staff person can call in, even mm -hmm. if they have a question. Anybody who is sick, who has, you know, if, if they think they've been exposed to COVID, well, what do I do? Mm. Where do I go? How, you know, what do I need to, do I need to call my doctor? All that kind of stuff. So we can answer those kind of questions. Um, staff that are traveling for business or traveling internationally, we definitely want to talk to those people because we want to be able to provide information on how they can be safe while they're doing their activity. The whole purpose of the call center is to be able to allow the ministry to go forth and do the work, but do it safely mm -hmm. and do it with the understanding that there are things that are going to be different about, you know, how we do certain things. And we need to be cognizant of that. Mm -hmm. So anybody with a question, anybody that's sick, anybody that's traveling uh, for business or international, you know, should call in. While Cindy's team was busy making sure our staff was staying safe, they were monitoring their health risks, asking questions. The incident management staff was also ensuring that the disaster assistance response team had everything they needed to take those risks and go out into the field. The person in charge of staffing was Deborah Owens. So Deborah, thank you so much for joining me today. We know that there are so many moving parts behind the scenes that allow our teams to go, you know, into the front lines. And so we've spotlighted a lot of what the emergency field hospitals did on the ground, but we know that didn't happen without so much behind the scenes. So would you please explain, introduce to our listeners who you are and what you do for Samaritans First? Sure. So um, I am the engagement officer for the International Disaster Response Unit. And so our team is uh, in charge of trying to make sure that the organization is ready to respond to disasters internationally. And at this point, I would say worldwide, um, because obviously we just responded in New York as well, which is a little different for us because we do typically respond internationally. Uh, but a huge part of that is overseeing our disaster assistance response team, um, which we call DART. And so that is just a roster of over a thousand DART members around the world who are ready to deploy at a moment's notice whenever a disaster happens. And so a lot of my role is interacting with our DART members and just making sure that they're informed and equipped to go out and deploy whenever a response happens. And like you said, responding to New York, we have never responded to emergency field hospitals at the same time. So how is that challenging? You know, and you're probably engaging with new DART members, correct? Yes, so we hired a lot of new DART members for this. Um, so that was that was a unique challenge. Again, there were there were a lot of challenges with this one since mm -hmm. it was our first time attempting to do two. And from my perspective, so I typically do staffing whenever we have a response like this. And for us, you know, doing one emergency field hospital is a huge undertaking and takes, you know, upwards of 60 people just 
for one field hospital. Um, and so trying to do two of those at the same time is definitely a challenging task. It's something we've talked about and wanted to be able to do. And a lot of the work that our team has done has been trying to get to that point where we had the capacity to even do that. Um, but it definitely was, um, you know, a little nerve wracking trying to think about how to do that. Um, I think from my perspective, you know, usually when we have a response, it's an isolated incident in an isolated country. And so this was especially challenging because now it wasn't just, you know, we need people in Italy or we need people just in New York. It's affecting the entire world. And so now where we might have people, you know, that typically respond and say, hey, I can go. Now they have to consider, can I go? Like my hospital may need me here. My family may need me here. Um, those are typical things that we deal with um, whenever we have a response. But this one, especially with the magnitude of COVID and how it's affecting everything, I was quite honestly pretty worried about, you know, if we would find, if we had enough staff to be able to do this. And so, you know, when we talked about doing a second one, um, I do remember our director walking into the operations room as we started kind of mapping out what staffing would need to look like in New York. And, and he asked, you know, do you think we can do this? And I kind of just laughed at him and was like, no, I don't think we can actually. I don't think we have the staff to do this. Um, this is going to be a God thing. And, you know, I quite honestly, I'd never actually spoken those words out loud, but when I said it, I meant it. I did feel a piece about it too, because I I also trust that, you know, this is something we've been preparing for. And if God wants us to do that, he's going to open those doors and he's going to provide the right staff to do this. And so we just have to be willing to walk through those doors and trust that he's going to provide what we need. And so, you know, our HR team got involved. We did a lot of recruiting. Um, we were able to hire over 500 people, I think, within a couple of weeks. It was just amazing to see it all come together. It's 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 interesting to hear you say that because I remember thinking, hearing the possibility that I thought, how are we going to do that? And I know nothing about what goes into this. So for those of you, um, and I love that that's that's one of Bob Pierce's, you know, the founder of Samaritans First. That was one of his principles was the Godroom principle and mm -hmm. allowing, accepting a need, you know, knowing we couldn't do it and trusting and going by faith. And I think that probably was really hard for your team, but I'm sure it grew your team. So how did how did you see your team grow? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think this challenged all of us and helped us grow in different ways. Because again, I think this impacted us all in different ways. I think for the IDRU in general, you know, we had two uh, new team members who served on the Emmett. So this was their first time serving in those roles. And so some of that was, you know, us coming alongside them and helping them and making sure they had what they needed um, to succeed in those roles. Our entire team was involved in the response, whether, you know, we had one who had deployed out to the field and then the rest of us served here at headquarters on the incident management team. Um, but then again, you know, with the magnitude of this response, you know, typically the incident management team is 10, 12, 15 people, um, depending on, you know, the size of the response and considering how much this ballooned and, and how much was needed. Our team grew exponentially uh, just to manage the workload with that. And so now that we had, you know, a lot more resources at our disposal and people who were serving um, in different ways, I think we were able to kind of spread out the workload, which was huge and really important to make sure we didn't burn out and we could do this more long term. Uh, you know, I, I'm assuming we're going to be responding to this for a while now and we're looking at other opportunities. So I think making sure that we had spread that out, that we had set up good, you know, workflow processes so that we could continue to do this was super important. Um, and so, again, I think, you know, 
on previous responses, I was kind of narrowly focused. I had kind of my my focus on staffing and other things that I did just myself, but now I had a team of people to help kind of encourage and, and come alongside them in their roles as well. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, again, the day-to-day, I think we've all seen this, like at headquarters, you know, we had to get our temperature taken twice a day. We had to get the pulse ox taken um, and get our oxygen measured. You know, we had to make sure that we were social distancing so we could only have 10 people um, in our conference space at any given time. So then people who I would typically work closely with and just look over and talk to them because they're sitting two feet from me, now they were out at different cubes. And so open communication was such a big thing um, to make sure that we were communicating well and and staying on top of things. So you'd have to get up and go walk out and find people. Um, You know, we had our big kind of group meetings, like our update meetings we would have out in the hallway as well to make sure that we could hear everybody and um, we were socially distanced and that kind of thing. As you mentioned, we had meals delivered to us. Um, You know, we had to wear masks to go up and get food or do any of that kind of thing. So that's all not really normal um, for us, you know, on certain responses like Ebola or whatever before, you know, on infectious disease responses, I'm sure the people in the field are used to having to take those kind of preventative measures. But I've not been a part of a response, at least here, that, you know, we had to take a lot of those measures here. Yeah, I just, I feel like I just, it would be a, Difficult. And so you mentioned the incident management team. There's a new one. So yeah, mm-hmm. how does that work? And what do you typically work for six weeks, eight weeks? Is there a time limit? And then you rotate or what? What did the, I'm sure this one is different. Mm-hmm. So what did that look like? Um, you know, it, it is interesting because it kind of does mirror the disaster assistance response team a lot of the times right. on the field. And so, you know, we know what certain positions that we need on the team, but no one can or should do this indefinitely, right? I mean, all of us have day jobs too to, to consider. And so, um, you know, there are usually those kind of first responders that, you know, have served in this role before who are experienced, who can get it set up and running and that type of thing. Um, but again, we do have other staff within the ministry who can then also come and mm-hmm. support and then move into those roles as well. And so we do rotate people off um, as well, just to give them a break and so that they can get back to their normal responsibilities that haven't necessarily gone away mm-hmm. while they're serving on the Emmet. Um, and so um, it does mirror in that way. You know, I think for us, a lot of us who started on the response when we responded in Italy were on it for the entire time. Uh, so about two months um, from the start to the finish of Italy and New York. And then once that started to wind down was a good time to start to kind of rotate people out. And then as we look to the future and where we could potentially respond to next, we have a fresh set of eyes, fresh set of hands um, to be able to do this. But now that also gives those of us who were on the previous one time again to rest and reset but also just reflect on the work that we've done how can we how can we improve this going forward what are the lessons learned that we can take forward to improve this and make this easier hopefully for everyone going forward and how can we stop the stop the curve and and hopefully contain this and yeah just do better Deborah has served in multiple responses on the Emmet it was eye opening for me to hear her perspective accommodating logistics staffing and travel for two simultaneous field hospitals was not an easy feat Through it all, many say that it could not have been done without the help of the international apprentices. The 20-person cohort of apprentices were split between New York City, Italy, and the Emmet here at the Boone headquarters. Listen as I talk with David Corey, an international apprentice who served on the Emmet. So David, first of all, we were talking prior. I'd love for you to just share where you're from and what brought you to Samaritan's Purse. 
Yeah, um, my name is David Corey and I'm from Beirut, Lebanon. I um, really had uh, an experience with the Lord uh, a couple years ago, actually, so not too long ago. So uh, I really uh, decided to dedicate my life to the Lord and mm -hmm. to ministry. And uh, through my father and through him speaking highly of Samaritan's Purse, I really decided that I would love to work for this organization and to do uh, whatever work God is calling me to do. So uh, I actually got the opportunity to do an internship in Iraq uh, last year in the fall, 2019. And it was a great experience. Uh, and through that experience, I heard of the apprentice program and decided to apply. And uh, through you know God's will, I, I was able to get in. And uh, here I am today and I, I've enjoyed the experience a lot. Mm -hmm. And so you mentioned that you had the opportunity to do the apprentice program. Mm. And so you've been here at, in Boone for what, six months now training? Yes. Getting ready to be launched. Yes. And so because of COVID-19, your mm -hmm. plans changed. Where were you supposed to go? I was supposed to go to South Sudan uh, and I was really anticipating uh, and excited for that. Even though I've heard from so many people that it's a really hard place. Uh, I felt like I was prepared through the apprentice program uh, to meet the hardships. Uh, and really to to see what God uh, had in store for me there. Mm -hmm. And I feel like, you know, the apprentice program is extensive. I mean, you were trained in everything throughout the ministry. You didn't even know where you were going, mm -hmm. what, till about four or five months in. Yes. So you were open, and I feel like all of you were submissive and, and ready for mm -hmm. whatever God had for you. Exactly. And so here you were assigned to the, to the South Sudan, but then your plans were changed because mm -hmm. of COVID-19 mm -hmm. and none of the apprentices could be sent off. You know, mm -hmm. some were sent to Italy, some were sent to New York, and then some stayed here yes. in the Emmet. So what did that do to your heart? I mean, I know we're all open to God's leading, yes. but obviously there was some, I'm sure, disappointment yes. in your plans being changed. How did God work in your heart in this shift? Yeah, um, I truly feel uh, though, as though God uh, he knows exactly what you need in every moment. And I know that that's probably like very mm -hmm. narrow way to view this whole pandemic. But I think for every person, God knows if, if you allow God to really take control and you surrender your life to him, he's going to give you and put you in positions where he needs you to be in all, in all moments and in all walks of life. So I truly feel that this is what God has for us right now. And uh, whenever we get to go to the field and whenever that time comes, then I feel like that'll be the time that God has ordained for us to be, you know, that's the correct time for us to go. So mm -hmm. I, I'm, I'm at peace with that, you know, and, uh, and coming into the apprentice program, like you said, uh, I didn't know where I was going to go. I didn't know what was in store at all. I just knew that I was going to get training and then go out to the field uh, in some capacity. So, and from that aspect, uh, it's been easier for me to deal with kind of the, the, the changes, you know, in a way, because really I've, kind of knew that that was a possibility coming into the program. Mm -hmm. And I, I, you know, I'm, I've made peace with whatever God has for me at any moment. Mm -hmm. And, um, but I, I feel like, you know, God, God knew in advance, he's yes. on the throne. He's not surprised by any of this, but, you know, Samaritan's Purse responding to two emergency field hospitals at the same time, which they've never done before, exactly. you know, is a huge feat and it yes. required all of our employees to pull weight exactly. and do things that they weren't expecting to do. And I feel like we couldn't have done that without you, you know, without the apprentices. Mm -hmm. I mean, honestly, mm -hmm. you provided just great new insight, fresh eyes, and just were willing and capable 
to do so much. And so God knew, God provided, and obviously it wasn't what you planned for, but mm-hmm. wanted. But how did you see that skills that you learned in these past six months allowed you to be able to step up into these roles? Mm-hmm. I think the apprentice program as a whole uh, really taught us the professional skills uh, needed uh, to adapt to a variety of situations here in, in Samaritan's Purse. Because I do feel like this work that Samaritan's Purse does is unique, uh, you know, in the world in terms of, you know, like the work that they do and uh, the way that they handle themselves, the employees, everybody, the organization as a whole is, is really uh, spiritually minded. So from that aspect, I feel like we've been prepared very well to do our work with uh, with the mentality that God is is at the forefront of what we do, and truly that God He is uh, the one who drives our decision making, who drives uh, the love we have, the the compassion we have, even uh, w- working in the emit, you know, the stressful situations that arose. Uh, and and that it, it was really a stressful you know environment because like you said it's unprecedented uh, the two responses at the same time and the amount of uh, work that needed to be done uh, was really immense so truly I can say that I did not see any uh, impatience from any single person be it be it the team uh, lead or the, the response uh, director or or anybody else truly it was all done with love compassion and that's by God's grace. And so you mentioned, yeah, it's unprecedented. COVID-19 has impacted the entire globe, mm-hmm. you know, to, in some capacity. And so Samaritan's Purse has been trying to meet those needs. And so how did your department, so you were with the Emmet, can you explain to me what that is to those listening yes. and what you were doing? What was your job? So my role was uh, the travel support uh, initially. So basically uh, helping facilitate the flights, all the different types of the hotels, the, the rentals, all those things to help uh, get people where they need to be and bring them back home. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's a lot of, there was a lot of flight cancellations, so many things that, you know, so many uncertain things. Uh, and basically I was trying to help support uh, the travel team in the Emmet to do uh, the job seamlessly. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like the amount of work that the travel people would have had without the apprentices would have been astronomical. So I do feel like God was able to use me to relieve some of that pressure and some of that, you know, stress on the travel uh, personnel. And yeah, because we we covered extensively the field hospitals and talked yeah. to people on the field. And this is why we wanted your perspective, because like the body of Christ, you know, the body of Christ has many parts. Mm-hmm. You know, they're saying they're all needed. You yes. know, we, we need the eye, we need the arm, we need every single part. And I love how you're bringing this up because there are so many aspects that go into sending an emergency field hospital that we don't think about. Mm-hmm. And if they weren't done, you know, back here, and I think that's why you guys are some of the most unsung heroes because the Emmett kept it running. Mm-hmm. Um, and you worked long hours, correct? Yes. I mean, yes. around the clock for, for weeks. Yes. Um, can you talk to me about that and the hours that were required? Yeah, uh, that was something that was a little bit more, uh, something that I wasn't as prepared for, the long hours. But I do feel like uh, I had the energy, I had uh, the capability to uh, to work those long hours and to just provide support because my mentality was, this is something that's needed, you know, like this is actually something that I'm really impacting uh, a lot of people and, you know, especially with the COVID because so many people are in, in, in distress and, you know, they need uh, the, the field hospital that Samaritan's Purse deployed. And not only that, it's the spiritual element. I realized that Samaritan's Purse, uh, basically what, what they, I mean, Franklin, he says that 
the medical, you know, the medical support is really a way to spread the gospel. You know, through the medical, uh, what we're able to do medically, we're able to sh to share the message uh, of hope uh, with people. So I, I knew that whatever I was doing was impacting God's kingdom, uh, even though I was all the way in Boone and the response was in New York and the response was in Italy. That was awesome. You've, you've alluded to it, but I mean, this work was not light. <laughs> it was heavy. And, and I'm sure you said you did travel, but I'm sure you did many other things too. Mm -hmm. You know, whatever came your way that day. And I feel like you probably had your plan for the day, but then things would change, right. you know, because there were so many moving factors. I did change the water cooler a lot. <laughs> <laughs> See, I mean, ready and willing, but I love that attitude and just God what do you want me to do each day? Mm -hmm. You know, because it is, it's so easy to get so focused on our tasks, mm -hmm. um, which yes, we need to plan and, and be proactive. But at the end of the day, we're reacting to what he wants us to do yeah. and um, looking to him for wisdom and counsel. For sure. And that is when Solomon was successful, was when that was his prayer, right. you know, and that's how he started. You know, he said, God, I just want wisdom. Mm -hmm. You know, he asked, what do you want? Anything, right. you know, and he said, I want wisdom, your wisdom. I love how our staff, every person is needed. And I want to read from Exodus 17, 8 through 15, as they were going against the Amalekites. It says in verse 8, the Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites. Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with my staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. So Moses' hands grew tired. They took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with a sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it because I will completely blot out the memory of Amalekite from under heaven. Moses built an altar and called it, the Lord is my banner. He said, for hands were lifted up to the throne of the Lord. The Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. And I love that story because some of us are Joshua and the ones going into battle. You know, some were sent to the front lines and then some are in leadership like Moses and they need help, support, helping hold up their arms. And I love hearing from each of these people today because we know Samaritan's Purse couldn't go without every single person on staff doing their part. And so I encourage you, whatever your part is, be encouraged that the Lord is using you in a mighty way. And I love the way that they end in saying, the Lord is my banner. And that is what, in this response, Samaritan's Purse holds to, God helped us do this. It is not Samaritan's Purse and it is not any of us. It is God, the Lord is our banner, allowing us to do these works and in Jesus' name. And I wanna close with the prayers from each of the departments represented today. I would say the biggest ways is just for unity. And I think I often pray that for our ministry because, you know, there's so many moving parts and just it's so important to all be on the same page and to just be running with the gospel. Um, but then also endurance. Like, thankfully, I think we've slowly started to see a light at the end of the tunnel with everything starting to kind of slowly start to go back to normal. But just endurance. And honestly, one of my biggest prayer requests is that the Lord will give us servants' hearts. You know, we are all His servants, no matter whether we're housekeeping or facilities or Emmett or, you know, you doing this. Like, we are all His servants.
I think just continued grace and and guidance from God. Um, flexibility, as you mentioned, is, is definitely key. Uh, we start out thinking we're doing one thing, and as God opens doors and shuts other doors, we, we're very agile in order to respond to that. So just uh, continued um, just grace as we work through those situations. For those who've already served, whether on the incident management team or on the DART team on the ground, definitely we could use prayer for just, again, like I said, that intentional time mm-hmm. in resting, in reflecting, in renewing ourselves um, and just spending intentional time with God and and establishing that connection. Again, I think, you know, we can't do this without Him, but when it's so chaotic, mm-hmm. it can be very easy to lose that time that you used to have or set aside with Him because now, um, you know, you're so focused on getting the next thing done and getting the next person out the door and making sure that the flight happens and all those things that fight for your attention. Um, so yeah, so really making sure that people are taking that time to to reconnect with God and um, just get back to that place of peace. And, um, you know, I think for... Uh, our field offices especially as well, um, as they try to figure this out, um, you know, in the midst of all of this and, and you know, our tension is kind of divided because it's so prevalent all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I pray for our regional teams um, and our projects teams and our, our field offices as they try to find creative ways to do this and adapt their programming um, for their communities there. Um, And then I would also ask for prayer for our leadership, for wisdom and discernment as they continue to evaluate what's happening and and where we should focus our attention and our efforts, how we can best serve others and best serve God. Because I think, you know, we could could do anything, but we can't do everything. And so, you know, what is going to be the best use of our resources and our time and um, you know, how do we how do we focus that well um, and just represent Christ well in all that we do so that we're not stretched too thin, but we're coordinated and, you know, we have a good effort um, and give him all the glory in that. Yeah, myself personally, I can say that I, I was praying uh, a lot for God's wisdom to be imparted on, on those people. And I mean, you can say that throughout our prayers as a team, we were praying for safety. We were praying for opportunities for witness, you know, that's a constant theme for us uh, when we were praying. But for me, I I really, I ask God a lot for myself. Uh, I don't want earthly wisdom. I want spiritual uh, and, you know, truly supernatural wisdom uh, to deal with people the way God uh, sees them, the way God loves people for me to be also to be able to do that. So I I truly wanted uh, the healthcare workers uh, to have that kingdom impact you know, to have uh, the ability to uh, relate, even though they're so busy, they're so tired. You know, it's easy to uh, let the flesh, you know, kind of dictate your actions as a result of your tiredness, your weariness, your, you know, whatever tough things they're seeing. So I was praying that God would give them wisdom in dealing with not only the patients, but the officials but and everybody, the press. You know, I know that the press was a big factor in both responses. So that's, that was my prayer specifically for them. Thank you so much for joining us today. In these simultaneous COVID responses, every person was needed. From the doctors, the nurses on the front lines, and those working behind the scenes at headquarters, we could not have done this without each and every one of you. Many of you had to take on new roles, long hours, and dedicate yourself to this response. So I wanna say thank you to those who did the work. Helping in Jesus' name happens when each person in the body of Christ does their part. Thanks again for listening and God bless your week.